0: Welcome to Bringing Truth to Life. My name is Henry Clay, and we hope you enjoy this series of messages on getting to know God better. We're continuing in our series, Growing in Knowing Him, and this is number six. Tonight we're going to talk about His glory. So let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these times we've been able to have. And even though Uh, We've been sometimes over in the sanctuary, sometimes here. It's always wonderful to be with you. And someday we'll be with you forever in a much better place, with a much better meal, with wonderful fellowship, and seeing your beautiful face. Bless us tonight as we open the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. The shorter catechism uh, and the larger catechism starts with the question, what is the chief and highest end of man? Can you quote that for me? What's the answer to that question? That's right. The full text in the larger catechism is man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. Now we've talked about in this series, because we began this series talking about that, that we already know the answer to that question, but we're not as clear on what does it mean to glorify God. And, well, we kind of know what it would mean to enjoy him forever. We're good at enjoying things, but we're not as clear on glorifying God. Well, what if I, were, if I told you that the main task I have for you in the next two weeks is I want you to nixalt the piezel tree. I want you to nixalt the piezel tree. I just made this up. This isn't words of anything. But just suppose it meant something to me, but it doesn't mean anything to you. And I said, I'm going to come back in two weeks and I'm going to check on you. And I'm going to come back in two weeks and I'm going to say, well, did you exalt the peasal tree? And you'll give that blank stare. Now someday God's going to come back and he says, did you glorify me? And so it's very serious. If we don't even fully understand what does it mean, how do we expect to be able to carry it out? And that's what we really want to get into tonight. Uh, begin to get on. I think we'll, it'll take us two weeks to cover what we're going to tr- get started on. But what is the term glory? What does that refer to? I think some people think of it in terms of um, like a bright light. It's kind of like the sun plus or something. You know, it's a, like a flash on a camera that doesn't just flash. It just keeps on at that bright intensity. Uh, Some people might think it's kind of the halo around the head, you know, of baby Jesus or of Mary or Joseph in those pictures. What is glory? Now, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament word in Hebrew for glory is kavod. That's, let me show you, this is your only Hebrew lesson you may ever get in your life. So watch this, then you can forget it. That's a K. That's an A. So that's ka. And this here is pronounced like a V, so that's kav, that's an O, and that's a D, so it's kavod. Now you say that with me, kavod. Very good, see? Now let's learn it in Greek. You're going to be able to uh, amaze your friends with this. The Greek is doxa. That's a little bit easier. Doxa. You want to say that? Doxa. What does that sound like? doxology, and that's what that is used for, the word of praise. Logos, word, doxa, praise, a word of praise. But that didn't help us very much, did it? But anyway, it was just interesting. Now, one thing I want us to look at now is that three times in the Bible, something interesting comes up. When you think about what is God up to, not just in the little step-by-step sort of a thing, but in the overall picture, what is he really up to? And there are a couple of times where he talks about it. Numbers 1421. Let's open our Bibles now. Numbers 1421. And those of you that have your Bibles tonight, we're going to use them. Of course in Numbers they are in the wilderness. The book of Numbers begins and ends with a census. In the very middle of the book, is the issue of Kadesh Barnea where they refuse to go into the promised land and in verse 21 of chapter 14 he says, Nevertheless as surely as I live, and that's pretty sure isn't it, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory in the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert but disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promise on oath to their forefathers." And he mentions in a phrase there, "As surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth." Now he just says that in an aside, but this comes up two more times, and we want to look at those. Isaiah 11:9, Isaiah 11:9, a little sort of a sword drill here tonight. And this doesn't actually mention glory, but it's, you'll notice as we look at these three passages that they're very, very similar. Isaiah 11:9, 9, and it says, They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, how much do the waters cover the sea? Not the earth, 100%. Well, he didn't say, how much does the, as the waters cover the planet? He says, as the waters cover the waters. Well, that's, that's 100%. And he says, that is how full the earth, here it says, will be of the knowledge of the Lord. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Is the earth that way now? No, it's not. Much of the earth is in darkness. And now, if you can possibly locate Habakkuk, I always remember that uh, Mike and Nahum have a cook, thinking of them, they have a cook, you know, to cook their meals. Um, so Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 14. And again, this is quite, quite a while later. And he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here three times God is alluding to his overall plan for the created world. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Do we have the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? Well, that's something what we want to look at tonight. And what we want to do now is we want to follow this thing through all of the Old Testament and then a little bit into the New Testament to see if we can get a new insight on it. Do you realize that some things, uh, names or terms with use, become unuseful? It's like they get worn out. We use them and we kind of have an idea of what it is and yet we don't really know what it is. And glory is one of those terms. It's something that has become less clear to us even though we use it all the time. If you go through your hymnal, you'll and the Psalms and all those things you see, it come up so many times, the, the, the word glory, and yet it's one of the words that we're least clear on, what in the world is it referring to? Let's look at one of the first instances of it. it doesn't use the actual name of word glory, but you get the idea that that's what it's talking about, in Exodus chapter 3. But in Exodus 3... Moses has fled into the wilderness and he's been a shepherd for 40 years, so he's now 80. And he is in the desert near the mountain of God called Horeb. And it says in verse 2, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, don't you know that scared the liver out of him? I mean, there's just this interesting sort of a thing. He's, he's all alone, you know, and he just walks over and this probably a bo- rather booming voice uh, calls his name out twice. I mean, it would be one thing if the person just said, hey, you, you know, but when they call your name, they realize you realize they know who you are. And so that could make it even more complicated. All of us sinners have sort of a guilty conscience, and so whenever you see a policeman or anybody in authority, or the pastor maybe, you you do a double check inside. Let's see, am I, am I misbehaving? And without thinking about it, here. And Moses said, "Who's that?" No, he didn't say. He he said, "Here I am." And so this is the first case we have where there's a visible manifestation. It looks like a fire, and yet it doesn't consume this bush. And that's how Moses' journey began. It all began with an encounter, a visible encounter with the glory of God. Let's move on to Exodus chapter 16, since you're already in there. Was this appearance of the glory just something for the special elite, the Moseses in their midst? And then they would just come back and tell everybody how it was. In Exodus sixteen ten. It says, While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Now, I just found out, maybe this morning or yesterday, this is absolutely the first recorded case in the Bible, all the way through Genesis and up to this point in Exodus, where God's people actually saw the glory of God. Now, it almost does it sort of an aside, like he's, oh yes, like he always does, and there was the glory of the Lord. But for them, this was the absolute first time to see the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. Then in chapter 24, on Mount Sinai, and it says, And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Have you ever seen God? Would that change you somehow if you did? Now, God does works with each person in different ways. But... If they didn't believe before then, I'm sure this had an impact on them. The idea that God really does exist will revolutionize your Christian life. It's amazing how we can do religion and not really count on the fact that God is actually present. Not only that he exists, but that also he's close by. Because so many times we'll act in such a way as though we... Obviously, don't think God's nearby. But the glory settled on top of the mountain. So that when Moses went up, this wasn't just a religious rite. He was actually going to meet with somebody. Somebody was up there. Who? We don't know. They didn't know his name yet. Uh, The one who we don't know his name is on top of the mountain. The one who appears in fire is up there. You notice how many times the Bible also uses these circumlocutions. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's a Jewish way of guarding the name of God. I think we might have talked about that one time. So finally they build a tabernacle. And if you want to look in Leviticus, they go through all of the rites. Now what's the tabernacle? What's the, how, how is the tabernacle different from the temple? What? Tabernacle was a porta temple. It was a temple you could take down and roll up and haul to the next spot. You could not do that with Solomon's temple. It was made to stay until they finally beat it down. But a tabernacle was made out of cloth and poles and ropes and stakes. And that's pretty much it. It was like a big tent made out of animal hides and cloth. And they had a whole dedication service and all these sacrifices that they needed to do. And it says in uh, Leviticus 9:6, Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do. For what reason? Look at this. So that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Not so that you may be cleansed. Not so that I'll be happy with you. He says, Something is going to happen. You dedicate the temple... And something is going to happen. God is going to show up that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering, your burnt offering. So he begins to tell him all the things that they need to do. And let's look now at the end of the chapter, verse 23. And it says Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering. See, there was the the, the building of the tabernacle. There was the uh, the holy place, the tent of meeting, with the holy of holies and the holy place. And then out front of that, there was the altar. And they had sacrificed the animals and everything, and it was on the altar outside, just outside the tent of meeting. The glory of the they walk out. The glory of the Lord appears, and then this ball of fire comes out and consumes all the. Uh, Animal sacrifices on that altar. Uh, Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar, and all the people clapped and thought it was a great show. No, that's not what it says here. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. In the New American Standard, which sticks more literally, it says they shouted and fell on their faces. I don't think they were shouting for joy. They did not know how far out that fire was coming. All they knew was it was on its way coming toward them. If you could see it, you know, it might get you. It's hard for us to relate to the amount of fear that uh, people in those days had uh, for the presence of God. They really believed God was real. And you see time and again, whether it was Samson's parents and they see an angel of the Lord and they think they're going to die. Gideon sees the Lord. He's wondering why he's still alive. Zachariah in the New Testament John the Baptist's father the angel of the Lord appears to him and the angel they always have to say don't be afraid why? because they're just they've about melted on the floor they're so petrified with fear why? they think I'm dead now I mean if you walked into a room and there was a gorilla loose you know you would think this may be my last day we went to a petting zoo in Argentina where you could walk in and pat a Bengal tiger. His head was here and his, t- his tail began here. It was the most amazing thing. I, I don't think I'll ever be the same. I, I realized we've got to take advantage of this now because in America, they, insurance companies would never allow this. So I, I, but I couldn't believe it. We were in there with, with my children and we're patting this full-grown Bengal tiger. There's a handler there. You know, but doesn't even have it on a leash. But I guess they just raised this tiger there and everything. Our kids played with the tiger cubs and all of that. But normally, there's we just have such a sense of fear when we are standing in the presence of one who could completely destroy us on a whim. And so when the people saw God show up like that before, where was God? Out in the wilderness. Then after that, they saw him way up on the mountain, but they just sent Moses up there. They said, look, Moses, you just go up and see what he wants to say and come back and tell us. Don't, we don't want to get too close. Now, all of a sudden, in the tabernacle, and where was the tabernacle set up? In the midst of the whole camp. So this wasn't outside the camp. This was right in the middle. And good grief, now there's a fire in the middle of the camp. Uh, what's going to happen? So when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now, as time went on, they, they finally crossed over the River Jordan after the 40 years in the desert. They conquered the land and there was the period of the judges for, they say, in one passage says, for 400 years. And during that time, there was a lot of apostasy, idol worship, a lot of uh, immorality. It was a very difficult time. And we want to look at the next point on the glory of God that that appears in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now they're in in a battle with the Philistines and they lose and they think, well, maybe we need to have God on our side. So they go and take the ark. Now the ark was a box about from here to here, about like that, and about like that, and on top it had two sort of angel-like figures, and their wings pointed in toward each other, and it was supposed that in between there was where the glory of the Lord manifested his presence. And so if they took the box, it's like you pick up a candle that's lit, and you walk with it, and the flame doesn't stay there, and you didn't touch the flame, but you take the candle and you get the flame. You can't grab the flame, but you can get the candle. Well, they couldn't get God, but they got, got his box. They got the ark. And, and so we'll have the priests, and y'all will come down with us. This will be our, our lucky rabbit's foot, and we'll go down to fight the Philistines and see if we win this time. Of course we'll win. And even the Philistines were psyched out. They thought, oh no, they brought their God now, and we've had it. But God was fighting on the side of the Philistines because his people were being disobedient and the Israelites lost. Now at that point, this was just before Samuel becomes priest, Eli, the old man, the old fat man, was the priest and he had two sons who were very immoral and one of those sons had a wife and she was about to give birth. And that's the background of our passage here in 1 Samuel 4, 21 and 22. They lose the battle. Someone comes running back and says, not only did we lose the battle, we lost the box. We lost the ark. The heart of our nation is gone. It was like a spiritual decapitation of the whole nation. And so when Eli hears that, uh, he falls over backwards in a faint, breaks his neck and is dead. So this poor lady who's about to give birth her husband just was killed in the battle her father-in-law just died and the ark of the Lord had been taken and so she gives birth and and it says in 1 Samuel 4, 21 and 22 she named the boy Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured the only other Hebrew lesson I'm going to give you today we're coming back to the word you recognize that word? K A V O D, Kavod. I copied this directly out of my Hebrew Bible from this chapter in 1 Samuel. But now Kavod has a little something funny on the front of it, and that's pronounced just with an I. So it's E Kavod, no glory. That is what Ichabod means. She named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. She doesn't just say, Oh, we lost our box. We really liked that box. says, No, we lost our flame. We lost our life. We lost our God. His glory has departed from Israel. So now we want to go to when they dedicate Solomon's temple. Now I'm skipping over a number of things just because time won't permit tonight, but I want to give you a red thread to go back and think about on these things. And by the time the temple was built, David had already brought the tabernacle to Jerusalem, and then he'd gone and gotten the ark once, and that guy Uz or Uzzah, touched it and fell over dead. Remember that? And then they went. Uh, they waited a while. Went back and studied the Bible, see what they'd done wrong. They disobeyed God in six things. That's another study. Maybe we'll do that another time. But uh, God had been pretty patient with them. But um, they finally do bring the ark in. And but when the temple is de- dedicated, we see something interesting in Second Chronicles seven. through it says when Solomon finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple don't you know that whoever planned the service was thinking yes you know now that's a worship service you know we did everything we were supposed to do and he did everything he was supposed to do no one will we'll be talking about this to our great grandchildren The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. I mean, what would happen if we were in Old Testament times and and our sanctuary was so full of the glory of the Lord, we were all out in the parking lot seeing if anyone dared try to get in there. And, you know, maybe tie a rope on his foot in case he gets killed, you know, and so we could haul him back out and maybe later on try with someone else. They couldn't enter the temple of the Lord. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Now through the time of the monarchy, things got worse and worse, more and more idolatry. And there is a fascinating three chapters in the book of Ezekiel. This is all the way just before the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. So what we just read was um, about 1000 BC. So this is like 400 years later in the book of Ezekiel starting in chapter 8. Ezekiel at this point, where is he physically when he's writing the book of Ezekiel? He's in Babylon. And it says in the beginning of chapter 8 in verse 3, it says, a man appeared to him while he was sitting there he goes into sort of a trance and says this man stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head that's sort of like a caveman sort of a thing you know where they hit him over the head and drag him off by the hair well they took him by one version says by a lock of his hair and took him all the way to Jerusalem and God begins to show him things that are going on in the temple and this is like in 588 or 5 something right, right a year or two before the fall of Jerusalem we're going to maybe look at that a little more uh, maybe next week but he shows them all the idolatry that's going on there and then there are a number of in, in 9, 10, and 11 there is a vision watch this now there's a vision of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple and you realize you mean after all of that God was still there? all that idolatry? now when we say idolatry we need to realize that it wasn't just ancestor worship you know and in your kitchen you got a little idol shelf. They would sacrifice their babies live to Moloch, a molten god that they would heat red hot, and they'd place their baby on that, and it would fall into the flames. Terrible things. Uh, There was um, use of sexual prostitution in in idol worship, and the priestesses, and all of this. It was just a very, very bad situation. But we realize that even after all of that, in so many centuries, and God fussing at them, Still the Lord was there. God is so persistent with you and me. He was still there, but the Lord has said, I will not always struggle with the sons of men. He says, there comes a point, if you continue to harden your heart, where I quit trying. And it says in Ezekiel 9, 3, Now the glory of the God of Israel went up from above the cherubim. That's Those are the two angels we were saying about, above the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant where the Lord visibly dwelt and his glory all of a sudden starts to rise up in his vision and it moved to the threshold of the temple it moves to the doorway of the temple he's beginning to leave and in Ezekiel 10:19 while i watched the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground and as they went the wheels went with them they stopped at the entrance to the east gate of the lord's house and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. And Ezekiel 11:23, the very end of this four-chapter section, the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. What mountain is that? The Mount of Olives, where Jesus uh, prayed that night before he was killed, right across the Kidron Valley. But the picture is, is that the Lord says, "I'm leaving." I am departing. Once again, it was a situation of Ichabod. No glory. Now, at the end of this, in 586, Nebuchadnezzar came, besieged Jerusalem, overcame it, destroyed the city, and took everyone captive. They were in captivity for 70 years and then they, there were three groups of people that came back to repopulate the land and one of the first one was named Zerubbabel and he rebuilt the temple so that's called the temple of Zerubbabel now I want to look at this with you because we have, we've already seen two dedication services we kinda know how it's supposed to go the people have the things that they're supposed to do and God has the things that we're hoping he's going to do so let's look in Ezra I had read my Bible a lot when someone showed me this and I thought You're kidding, you know, and I found it very strange I hadn't noticed it before. Ezra 6.13. Then because of the decree King Darius had sent, these people carried it out with diligence. (laughs) Verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, a descendant of Edo. And verse 15. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the reign of Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, verse 16, celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. So they were doing all the things that God had told them how to dedicate the temple. For the dedication of this house of God they offered, and it says, in fact, they probably offered a lot more than were offered at the other times. We won't read the whole list. Verse 18. And they install the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their groups for the service of God at Jerusalem according to what is written in the book of Moses, period. Verse 19. On the 14th day of the first month, a different point in time. We read through the whole dedication and nothing happens. God doesn't show up. Now I wonder in the, I think it's the book of Haggai, when it says the old people saw the temple that they had rebuilt and they wept. I always thought they wept because maybe it was smaller or the stones weren't quite as good or there wasn't as much gold. Maybe they wept because when it was dedicated, God didn't show up again. And the question that they were left with was, so where is he? Was it just a legend that God would show up? If it wasn't just a legend, why doesn't he show up now? And if he isn't here, where is he? Let's look at his coming that's promised in the last book of the Old Testament. Normally it's not a good idea to look at this many verses, but uh, I'm taking a chance with you tonight, hoping that this will be some food for thought in the coming months for you. Malachi 3.1 at the very end of the Old Testament says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. God is talking. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come. So who's the messenger that God sent? John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. I said, Hey, that's what didn't happen Was the room. He didn't come. But now we have a, a word from a prophet of God saying, I'm coming. I'm coming suddenly. All of a sudden I'm going to appear in the temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Well, how did he come? Well, we, we know that he came in the form of Jesus. In uh, Luke 2.8, we notice something about the coming of Jesus. This is the famous passage of the shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. I learned that when I was seven and recited it in a school Christmas play. And it says in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what appeared with that angel? And the kavod of the Lord, the glory of the Lord Shown around them. See, now we have, a, we have a frame of reference for that. Before we just thought, well, they just turned on the lights. Uh, it was just, I don't know, glory, you know. But we realized from the Old Testament, no, no, no. It's, it's more than that. It's his presence. It's what's been missing. And all of a sudden, you know, this is like 450 years after the glory departed from Jerusalem and he hadn't been seen since. Well, Ezekiel saw him in visions and stuff like that, but as far as the people, and the very first reappearance, all of a sudden, glory pops up to these shepherds out in the fields, outside of a small town. Now, the shepherding was not a very important position that people aspired to. It was sort of a smelly job, long hours, low pay. Whenever you did come to town you know you weren't very well received because you weren't very clean. It would sort of be like being on the trash detail in the army or something like that and if you were on it you might maybe out late at night going around and getting all the trash and so in a sense, to put this in our modern context, it was like the angel of the Lord appeared to a bunch of garbage collectors in the middle of the night as they're doing their work. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I can't believe this is happening to us, you know. Does that look like an angel to you? Well, it sure does, but I didn't think they did this anymore, you know. And, and what's all of that light? Do You think that couldn't be the glory of God. I mean, I haven't had that for 450 years. Surely not. And yet that's what it was. He was coming. He was coming in glory. He was coming in a surprising way. He was coming suddenly, and the most important thing was he was coming. He was actually coming, not sending a messenger, not sending an angel, not sending a gift, coming himself. But in the end of the Bible, the last two chapters of Revelation, we see that there's no need for SCE and G there in heaven. No need to change light bulbs. It says, Revelation 21:23, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Isn't that beautiful? The glory of God will be our light in heaven. In Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's think about this now. So what are we learning about the glory of God? I think one of the things that it speaks to about is His reality. That He is really there. Some people have a hard time sitting down with their Bible and reading or sitting down and praying. And yet, if you talk to many people like that, many of those same people would say, you know, would you like to go out and get a cup of coffee and just talk some? Oh, I'd love to. It's not as though they hate talking. In fact, many of the people that have a hard time praying or reading their Bible, they they don't have any trouble talking as long as they see somebody there they're they're fine to the degree to the degree that you perceive God to be actually there to that degree it transforms your ability to read the bible and to spend time with God in prayer now in romans chapter 1 i've taken you everywhere uh, uh, some of you're still following me in your bibles so i appreciate that but uh, also appreciate those that just listen attentively now some of you have already just, when I say Romans chapter 1, it already just kind of falls out right before your eyes. You've, you've studied it. For those that, it's not quite that quick. Verse 1 through 15, just sort of as a greeting, introduction, saying who's writing, who he's writing to, why he's writing. Verse 16 is a well-known verse, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's kind of his key verse for the whole book. Uh, his topic being on the righteousness of God. But right after that, in uh, verse 20, uh, well, in verse 7:18, uh, it says, "The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness." So he's going to begin to develop the case for the sinfulness of man, but I want you to notice what is one of the key points of the sinfulness, sinful condition of man, and why the wrath of God is over us. Verse 22 talking about men and this is kind of they've evolved to this depth it says although they claim to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal, mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles let's look at that again claiming to be wise they became fools and they made a trade when you were a child did you ever trade one thing for another thing Sometimes you may have made a trade with someone younger than you that had something actually that was much more value than the thing you were going to trade, but they didn't know that. And you say, well, if you'll give me that, I will give you this, and and you'll pretend like you're being very generous with them. And then they hand you the thing and you run off, you know, and hope they don't tell anybody. But it says man made a trade. What did he have? He had the glory of God. He had the opportunity to have the living Presence of the only true God with him. And he says, well, I'll trade that. What could you possibly trade that for of greater value? Now, notice what he trades it for. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Why would it be images? Not not only because it was thinking of statues and graven images, but actually the whole creation is an image or a reflection of attributes of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. He made us in his image. Even the way animals are made, their creativity, things about them, are reflections of the wisdom and power of God. And yet they are, they are just images. It's like everything that is made, man, animals, the earth, the elements, it's like they're photocopies of parts of God. And they had God, it says, and they traded God for just a photocopy of God. Something that wasn't God, but that they could get their hands on and do with what they wanted to. Now, today it's not popular in our country to fashion graven images and bow down to them. But you see other kind of images when you're in the checkout counter at the uh, grocery store. They have them all in those magazines there. And those are sort of the printed images that people go after. If we were to have racks of those things on one side and racks of Bibles on the other in the checkout line, and then we have a candid camera there, for the old-timers that remember a candid camera, what's it, x now or whatever, but this camera watching to say, what are they going to go for? As they're standing there with their cart, Are they going to say, Man, did you see this? They have Bibles here. And they only cost $30. Well, let's get a couple. Or are they going to be kind of flipping through the inquirer or other things, the images of mortal man. Now, remember how serious this chapter is showing that God takes. It says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against this condition of man. That they traded away the glory of God for something else. And I think that when it talks about he, they exchanged the glory of God it's that they lost the reality of God in their lives. It wasn't something that was important to them. Is God real to you? If I could only give you one thing in 20 years of ministry it would just be the sense to in some way to communicate to you that he is really there and that he is really near and that he really cares because if he's there and he's near but he doesn't care we're still in a bunch of trouble in fact we're maybe in more trouble if he cares but he isn't there he doesn't even exist well then he's just an idea And if he's there and he cares, but he's not here, it's just, he wishes me well, but he's not here when I need him. But to the degree that penetrates you and you begin to live with a sense of the glory of God in your own life, it will have a transforming effect on you, on the way you think, on the way you pray, on the way you speak. Now, one other thing that comes up very quickly when we talk about the glory of God in the Old Testament is just how dangerous he seems to be we want to look at just two illustrations of that in Leviticus chapter 10 we'd already looked in Leviticus chapter 9 they had the dedication of the porta temple of the tabernacle so they just come out of a wonderful worship service I don't know if it was Easter or what but it was just a great time and then in chapter 10 it says that the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, take their censers and they put, they don't do it like they're supposed to. They put some other fire, maybe kitchen fire something in there. Well, fire is fire, we'll just do this. And they go in to, to do the offer the prayers. And it says fire comes out from the presence of the Lord and consume them. And God says, I told you, you have to treat me as holy. You need to obey what I told you. And then in number 16 is the story of the rebellion of Korah. But the, with the rebellion of Korah, they say, well, Moses, who do you think you are to tell us what to do? We, God can speak through us too. And Moses says, well, we'll take it to God. Let's see what he thinks about that. And it says in Numbers 16, 19, when Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The earth parts. They all fall down alive into the pit. The earth closes back up. And it's like, are there any other questions? I think the Lord answered that one. But you realize, good grief, you know. This is high voltage stuff. We really, really better take God seriously. Do you realize that's one of our biggest problems? Is we don't take him seriously? We know there's someday supposed to be a judgment but it's, it's like it's long off. It's like when you have a semester worth of courses and there are no little tests or homework during the three or four months, there's just a final exam. So do you study the first month? Nope. When do you start studying? About two weeks before that final exam? And too often we live our lives that way too. It's when we think, well, I'm getting, now I'm getting up in years, now it's time to obey the Lord. No, no. It's always time to obey the Lord we need to look at a couple of applications before we end tonight the application as far as salvation God we see is like a fire and I, th- I think the illustration is appropriate to think that we are like people that are dressed in, in clothes drenched with gasoline and God's dilemma is how can I embrace them without incinerating them To the degree he gets close to us because we are flammable and he is flame, to that degree he will destroy us. Not because he tried to hit us, just because of the difference in our natures. And so what Jesus did was, he came and he switched clothes with us. He put on our gasoline soaked clothes and God lit him and he was consumed. And he gave us his clean clothes and now god can embrace us 2 corinthians 5:21 says that god made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him are you sure that you've switched clothes with him are you sure that you're trusting only in christ's righteousness to save you second application would be to fear the lord I think it would help us to view for a moment the image of a haunted house. I don't know if any of you have ever been into a haunted house or what should supposedly is a haunted house. It's usually at night. Supposedly nobody's there and yet maybe something is there and you hear a noise. What was that? Oh no. We need to realize that the church of Jesus Christ is inhabited. That's what the word haunted means. And it comes from a French word meaning simply inhabited. It doesn't mean terrorized or anything. doesn't mean bad. It just means somebody is there. We're not alone. Is he here? Is he there? Is he back there? The idea of his presence being there. And that will result in a different way of living not because we are terrified of him, but him being close to us brings out the best in us. If we know he's watching, we'll behave differently. And third, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul has just finished an interesting uh, little... Talk on Moses and how, when he was in God's presence, when he come back down from the mountain, his face was looked like a flashlight and it would distract people so much. He finally put on a, a veil because nobody would listen to what he was saying. They were just saying, this. Can you believe this? You know, uh, his face was shining. But it says now in verse 18 in the New Testament that the Spirit of the Lord has taken away the veil that kept us from seeing the glory of God. And it says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now the translation says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And to me this is a beautiful picture of our devotional life. That your devotional life shouldn't be something where it's just the rules. Okay, let's see. It's This time, okay, I've got to read my Bible, or otherwise I'm going to feel bad that I didn't read it, you know, and then I can check that off. If you would think of that time as now, I have my Bible and I've got the things I'm going to do, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here for only one thing I am here to behold the glory of the Lord. Lord, show me your glory. And it doesn't say that as we read the Bible we'll be tra- changed, as we pray, as we obey, all those things are we're supposed to do. But what's the common denominator of all those things? It says, as we behold Him, not the church, not the pastor, not even the Bible, as we behold Him, a presence, a real person who's right here, as we behold Him, bit by bit, we will be Changed. It will make a difference in our lives. And next week we're going to get into the real marrow of this because we want to go back and look at why does God's glory leave a life? If you feel like God's glory is not in your life, we want to look at what the scripture says next week about why that's so. And we also want to look at what God revealed to Moses uh, what was the essence of his glory? Will you come back? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We still don't have a clue as to what your glory is, but it's something so big, so wonderful, so glorious. We have hints and, and, and clues, but it will be a process of all eternity wondering mo- uh, what, it, what it is and its details. You are so beautiful. And we don't even understand the beauty of the creation. How could we understand the beauty of your face? And yet you've called us to be captivated by that. And we run to you to say, Lord, show us your glory. We need more of you. We've had plenty of religion. Please, Lord, deliver us from just the rules and the disciplines. Captivate our hearts with your living presence. Fill the temple of our lives with the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast.